Hi, I'm Daniel Leakes, and welcome to Book 101. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years, and today I have my special guest. He's the author of several books, no other than Mr. Theo Bernard. Hello, everyone, and thanks, Daniel, for having me on your show. Welcome back, Mr. Bernard. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm excited. It's my pleasure to have you. So let's talk about your second book of your Sapien Trilogy, Place of Deception. Wow. Sounds interesting. Yes. And just like the first one, the book, the, the um, subtitle is indicative of what, of the content that's inside the book. It's um, action-packed from beginning to end. And um, the character's are holdovers from the first book as a series and you just get more and more into them and you become more in love with the crew of the whisper yes so according to miss aretha thomas it was reviewed in the united states october 9 2019 george lucas and ava duvernay had a baby tia burnett would be their child Wow. <laughs> that is an excellent uh, uh, compliment. Also, Aretha Thomas is a famous person. She's um on Tyler Perry's Assisted Living and Anastasia Devereaux, I think is the name of her character. And she's a um, gifted actress and she's written over 13 books herself. So that's a that's a whale of a compliment coming from her. Of course. So how does it feel? It feels fantastic uh, to have completed a series and you know, it's something that I never dreamed of. I just started writing books in 2016 and I was more worried about the second book than any of the books in the, in the trilogy because the second book is usually where, or the second iteration of anything is usually where there's a, a, a lull and only in Empire Strikes Back truly and, and also Aliens from the Alien franchise did they manage to pull off and one-up the, the, um, initial um movie or book in a in that's in a series so i feel pretty good about it i thought um days of deception managed to do that and it might be my favorite book in the series so do you think seven days of deception is the hardest or that you have a difficulties of writing it actually i did not i had I, I i plotted it out very well um of the three books it took me the least amount of time to write that one. It took me 10 months to write Days of Deception, whereas it took me 14 months to write the first book, which was understandable. And it took me over two years to complete the third one. And that was simply because there was, um, you know, other circumstances involved in addition to me um, wanting to tie up all the loose ends in the book. But the Days of Deception brings in a lot of the elements from from the first book. I was well prepared. I well prepared. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go with the story, and where I wanted to end it. And it just played out in my mind like a movie. And so I was able to really just dig into it, get it out, and I was very happy with the product at the end. So your Sapien trilogy is totally planned. Yes, yes, totally planned. Um, I knew what the what the end was going to be before I wrote before I typed the first word. So how do you structure all those three books? Well, um, from beginning to end, all of them follow the three-act structure. I um, figure out in the beginning who 
who through whose eyes I primarily want to tell the story. Uh, in this book, is a main character called named Mulati Sodat. Um, I try as much as possible to follow genre conventions, um, to follow plot beats for specific, um, uh, say, action, um, the action genre, or you know whatever genre the book is going to fall into. I, I pretty much try to make sure that I meet those important scenes along the way so that the story is told and makes it easier to tell the story. But the important thing was having a cutoff point saying at the end of the book, I want, for instance, at the dawn of oblivion, there was a specific thing that had to happen because I wanted the readers to get closure and not be left on a cliffhanger. It had to be some type of satisfactory moment at the end for them. Same thing I did with Days of Deception, except for Days of in, with Days of Deception, the stakes were higher. This time, uh, it was a more, more more monumental event that occurred at the end of the book, and that was intended was was done with the intent to create uh, anticipation of the third book, and I think I did that. Yes, interesting. So, Miss Farmer says you create entirely a new world that we've never seen before. Where did you get those imagination? That's an excellent question. The um the imagination um you know they say necessity is the mother of invention and I don't know who was the um author of that quote but I like it. And what I wanted to do was um the whole premise of my story is that it that humans here are aliens that we came from somewhere else that we're not indigenous to earth, right? With the sapien solar system i had to create a place that was conducive to life and would be structured in a way that suggests that we mimicked what was going on in that solar system here so instead of continents there um on one planet they had each planet belonged to a different race of people even one planet belonging to a planet of albino people so that's your imagination how profound it is yes yes it takes a lot of ma imagination to get that done and the beautiful thing about sci-fi and also fantasy is that you are governed by the rules that you create the important thing to remember however is that once you establish those rules you have to work within those confines and so you can't you know have the deus ex machina at the end of your story you know with something that doesn't just absolutely does not make sense. So from that standpoint, I was able to be free in my first book and did some things that allowed me to have a lot of freedom throughout the rest of the series. So who influenced you those imagination? Uh, I got to say George Lucas, mostly. If I wanted to say who was the first, it would, it would be him because of the Star Wars um, trilogy, the original Star Wars trilogy. I saw the way that it was structured. I saw the imagination that went into that. And I thought that it was um, something that could be replicated, if not in content and form. I didn't want to do the same things um, creatively that he was doing, but the structure and the way that he laid it out was perfect. And I thought that I would mimic that and even try to improve on some of the things because I think he left some things closed off because he, I don't think he imagined that Star Wars would be as big as Star Wars is. And so there were some things that he closed off that maybe he wishes he hadn't. So I went into the Sapiens series with the mindset that 
everything the possibilities are endless i want to leave certain storylines open so i can go back and uh, um further develop them and hash them out and explore them and that would be dictated by demand of the readers so do you think Satan is better than Star Wars when put in a movie motion picture? Listen, I would never say that Sapien is uh, better than Star Wars. Star Wars sets a high bar. But if it could be mentioned in the same breath as Star Wars, I would be ecstatic. I would be more than happy with that. Even if, and I, I think, well, and it was by uh, the beautiful Miss Thomas, but I, you know, I would be blown away to be even compared in the slightest sense to Star Wars or Star Trek or Firefly or any of those um, fan Star Wars uh, um, series. Very well said, Mr. Burnett. And Miss Thomas says, your work bursts with heart, humanity, and empathy. How would you do that? So you have to tap into, I'm a people watcher and I, I'm a very empathetic person myself. So. I am able to channel emotions and feelings. And the one thing that I have, the one rule that I have when it comes to characters, or one of the most important rules that I have when it comes to, to making a character is that I establish their personality right away as soon as I make the character. And I also, within that, establish their, their intelligence level. So how that character reacts or responds depends on the other character that they're opposite at the time or who they played against the situations they're in and the um who else is in the is in the room whether the other person is smarter than them dumber than them or whatever and that you know creates and uh, all of those things bravery all that goes into to play and i established that in the beginning and so i always stick to those when i have certain characters interact with one another or characters act impulsively and all that stuff that primal urge that primal reaction comes out of them and they react in a way that is consistent with the, the character i established yes one of the comments says is a great follow-up how did you connect sapien dawn of oblivion to sapien days of deception the way i what i used primarily to, to connect it and i'm gonna um for anybody who's gonna read uh, Dawn of Oblivion, there's going to be a spoiler here, so you might want to um, be aware of that. But in the um, the climax of Dawn of Oblivion, there was a, a scene where they all had the uh, battle at the, at the Hidden Bastille. And in that battle, there was so much confusion, chaos, violence, and mayhem that some of the prisoners escaped. Eight of those prisoners uh, then formed an, formed an alliance and they roamed through the streets of Central City on planet Neutralia after that causing havoc between book one, between books one and two. And at the opening of Days of Deception, we see the Bastillians in action where they do a home invasion and, and chaos ensues and, they, and it's right in the opening pages, but that, that was the glue. So as a subplot through the second book, we are following the Bastillians and they have become a, a problem for the politicians and they have to catch them at the same time they're still trying to capture and subdue the uh crew of the whisper as they're on their mission to um um work to do what they have been hired to do by one of the politicians theris lamont so i think that was miss thomas talking about that uh 
or jaw dropping opening to the book. I think that's uh, the the scene where Miss Farmer's talking about. Oh yeah, I'm mistaken. Oh yeah. Oh wow, that's so awesome. If if this book will be a series or a movie, I can imagine if you, it's like a combination of Star Wars, Star Trek, and Firefly. Uh, imagine that! It's oh my goodness. <laughs> It's a yeah. blockbuster movie. <laughs> it would be a great movie. And if you combine all that and imagine that the character, the main character has the uh, martial arts skill of Bruce Lai, not Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lai, who I thought who came after Bruce Lee and who I thought was better. I know I'm going to get a lot of backlash for that, but that guy was incredible. And so that's what, and he's a, he's a Wing Chun master and he's sensational with his um, karate skills. He operates with a, he, he carries a, a weapon, an extendable, and that weapon, expandable staff called a Doha Nasada. And and that translates from Slovakian to long stick. And what it is, is a staff. And so a staff, if, if, if you know anything about the Wing Chun martial arts um, um, discipline, is, um, is one of the main weapons. So he uses that to great effect. And that's his weapon of choice. And um, so if you can imagine all those things, except the wing, uh, uh, the captain of the of the ship, of the main character is being a, a Wing Chun master, and just add all into the mix, and you just got something that's I think is incredible. I wrote the story that I wanted to read. Yes, please, people, a uh, movie outfit out there. You prefer HBO, right? <laughs> listen, In a series like listen, Game of it, Thrones, oh, better than Game of Thrones. Come on, people. <laughs> that's right. Now, listen, I would if they came to me with a movie deal, I wouldn't be upset. Let me put it that way. But if I had my, <laughs> if I had my, if I had my way, I would much prefer that it was a um, HBO series or something like that because I like for somebody to take their time with it, and and put it out there. But yeah, I w- I would love to see it on the big screen. That would be amazing to me. Yes, Miss Thomas said you painted the story vividly, colorful and vibrant pictures. How did you do that? Well, so the beautiful thing about um, writing is that you can take the time. There's no time limit on it. There's nobody telling you you have to get it done by a certain time, especially as an indie author, what I, which is what I am. So I have to take the time and and take the picture that's in my mind and convey it as best as possible to the reader without you know breaking any of the literary rules in the process. So it says as when it comes to um, showing instead of telling, I wanna show instead of telling. So, you know, just, the details that matter, the smells, the um, colors, the facial expressions, the um, interiority of the character that is the focus of the scene. And all of those things come together to make a, a picture in the reader's mind that deliver the scene in the tone that I wish it to, deli- be to, wish it to be delivered in. Yes. So Sapien, Days of Deception, what do you think the flaws of the book? What flaws do I think there, there are of the book? Yes. That's an amazing question and one that I hadn't pondered. Um, I Like I said, the, this book is my favorite one. <laughs> I think the flaw is that it had to end. Uh, it was so good. I like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the story is enough that a uh, book to fulfill the, the characters that you want to invade to your readers? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I was able to go more in depth into certain personalities of the characters to show their capabilities, to show the um, strength of the crew as a unit, to show the politicians in their best and worst forms, and to um, double down on a lot of things, and also to um, show the Bastillians in a way because they were barely mentioned in the first book. In the they were actually is almost a, a probably the chapter before the denouement of the first book in which they were mentioned and then they have a heavy heavy focus on the second book and so it's the second book more than the first is prob is, is uh, more cavern excuse me character driven it really really digs deep into the psyches of some psychopaths some very intelligent people some sociopaths and it's very entertaining yes Definitely entertaining, Mr. Bernard. Do you think that Sapien Days of Deception can stand alone as a novel? It actually could stand alone. And that was my whole purpose of writing them. If somebody happened to pick up one of the books mistakenly and happened to read them out of out of uh, turn, the the hope is that they would still be entertained enough. There's I I didn't, you know, I mentioned just enough from the first book from the first situation that they can have enough context to kind of grasp what was going on in the second book without having read the first book. But I didn't want to retell the first book in the second book because that would have been like spinning your tires in mud and taking away from the action that was in the second book. But it picks up in a way, the opening scene is tremendous. It's, it's so action-packed and heartbreaking and everything that you get immersed in the story right away. And then it just takes you through a, a, a thrill ride through the rest of the book. You rejoin the crew of the Whisper and all of the things come together and it's just amazing. I want to see that uh, in the big screen. <laughs> it's like uh, phenomenal. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, 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 ho I hope you get your wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that uh, the book of Mr. Burnett will be a series or a motion picture because it's better than Game of Thrones, I think. <laughs> ah, well, that's listen, that's a lofty expectation, but I'll take it. I yes. will take it. <laughs> so, it's so one of your uh, comments for your uh, reader says, full of humanity. How did you give importance of humanity in the story? Well, once again, going back to what we said, uh, well, what I said about the um, establishing the personalities of the characters, I thought it was huge to, um, when you're faced with a situation, um, objectively look at the, um, the capabilities of the character and um, first of all, try to really know, you have to know what you want to do in a scene and then push it toward that. And at the same time, have a character react in a way that was plausible. So in, in those fiction, I believe in, I, I believe a great deal in plausibility and everything that goes on that people have to have human reactions and natural reactions so that's the way i approached it each and every time with each um scenario each conflict everything any, every situation i put them in i wanted them to adhere to their capabilities their sensibilities and do what was expected of them to do yes very well said before we go on, Mr. Burnett, I just want to shout out to the people listening in United Arab Emirates. Thank you so much. I'm 116 on Apple Podcasts. Canada at number 68. Estonia at 190. Ghana at 
94.9, Cambodia at 98.7, Kazakhstan at 111.5, Lebanon at 41.1, Pakistan at 47.9, Trinidad and Tobago at 73.6, Tanzania, United Republic at 86.8, Uganda at 60.6. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world, like Mr. Burnett. Yes. What is the best highlight of Sapien Days of Deception? Oh, wow. The best highlight of Sapien Days of Deception would be the at the moment where the Bastillions, who are on the run for the entire book, for majority of the book, come face to face with the um, the Mayhem Marauders. Who are essentially the police officers of the um of the story who are the enforcers for the supreme supreme council and they finally meet up with them and i won't give a spoiler but it is explosive it's um exciting and um it takes you on a thrill ride from that moment all the way to the end of the book and there are some really profound ramifications for chancellor stephen aldridge who is the supreme council leader who's the leader of the supreme council Yes, and one of your readers says, full of suspense, mystery, and intrigue, and adventure. So what's, it's an amazing book, people. You need to read Sapien's trilogy, Suspense. How did you put in the story? With the suspense aspect, um, one thing I did do is I, they had a, there was an overarching story that um, continued throughout that was the thread of all three books and so that story hangs over the readers you know like the sword of damocles it's there all the time and in the meantime the backdrop of that the um tension is built through all of the other things the subplots that are drawn to a conclusion in book one and book two that threaten to um destroy what my main characters are trying to accomplish so that is there every time so that is built in suspense right there and then it's situational suspense you know i try to um put my characters in situations that are precarious at best you know and have them do heroic things uh that you know wow you but at the same time make you think that they were in the capabilities of the people who were put in place to do them Sapien, Days of Deception. Why is this your favorite book? It's my favorite book because I um, went into this book knowing the importance of the second book of a trilogy, knowing the importance of a follow-up book to a successful book, and I gave it my all. And it just so happened that in so doing, I made a book that I just completely fell in love with. And I like all three of my books, obviously. They are all built around my sensibilities of things that I like, but this one, more than more than any of them, I realized the importance of um, having a sensational follow-up story, and this did the, it did the job. Very well said. If you have given a chance again to revise the book itself, would you do it, and where? Well, I have. I've done it twice. So, the, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the answer is yes. So, um, the first couple of iterations of of the book. One had formatting issues and they were, you know, I was growing as a writer still. And even with both books. So I've re- I've revised the first and second one because by the time I got to the third book, I was a much better writer. I was I had a better understanding of the craft 
And uh, there were some things in book one and book two that I just, you know, in the words of Morpheus from the Matrix, they were like a splinter in my mind. And I just could not let those books live knowing that those things were there. So I went back and, re and pulled them from Amazon and um, revised them both and brought them up to the status or the, so, you know, interesting, some of the, um, the reviews of days of uh, dawn of, excuse me dawn of oblivion that was somewhat critical of like the editing and stuff like that so those reviews came before i had an opportunity to actually go back and revise them so fix some of those issues i listened to my to my um reviewers you know yes. and um and i try to have a thick skin about what i'm seeing and you know and if something is you know supposed to be uh, change then I change it if not if it's just a choice or something like that then you know a preference then and if I prefer what I did then I'll leave it as such yes and one of your readers says strong cast of characters a solid storyline and a quality writing so if you describe your writing in one word what is it oh straightforward well, that's two words, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I would say linear is is a way that I would um, describe it. You know, it's um, it's one continuous um, thing to the next. Everything happens in a way that you could see that is interconnected. You by reading the books, if you read the books, you can see that everything was plotted. There's nothing that happens by chance or nothing where I you know went off on a tangent because my imagination took me somewhere, you know, I just, everything is carefully and meticulously plotted because I knew where I wanted to go. And um, if I went off on one of those tangents, it would possibly take the story in a direction that I did not want to go or was not prepared to, you know, get it back to the line that I had established. Yes. Solid storyline. How did you do that? The storyline, um, so I... The important thing was I knew that I had to have a situation where, and based on the way I set up the world building, the different planets and all that stuff, I knew that I had to have um, my characters perform a certain feat, right? The, the important thing with that was um, making characters or creating characters who were capable of pulling off such a monumental and a huge feat and... Um, the politician who recruited them had to be persuasive and, um, you know, enough to seduce them over to doing what he needed to, them to do and realizing all the risks, all of the risks that were involved in doing so. Very well said. So people listening here on Book 101 Review, I'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast, Food 101, on the third season with Chef Alessandro. He's one of the executive chef in one of a five-star hotel in downtown Toronto. Food 101 people, if you want to know what is uh, Italian cuisine or food trivia that you want to know, Food 101. So, Mr. Burnett, let's talk about independent publishing nowadays. What are the benefits for all the writers out there? Well, one of the biggest benefits is that you, um, first of all, there's no one that is taken away from your money. Number two, and the thing that I like about it is most is you don't have to answer to anybody. Now, that's a double-edged sword in that 
you don't have to answer to anybody, but there's also no checks and balances. So you have to make sure that you do your due diligence when it comes to editing, when it comes to all the formatting and all the other things that would allow you to produce a palatable uh, product. So it requires that you do a little more work on your end, all of the marketing and the marketing is a wash because the mistake that people have is they think that once they get a publishing deal that the publishing company is going to the publishers are going to do all the marketing for them no traditionally published authors still have to market their own work so from that standpoint if we're going to do the same amount of work but you're going to receive less money i you know i'd rather go indie than traditional pub especially if you're going to have some work that's transcended if if you're just you know applying your trade and you know and you're a mediocre writer or something like that, maybe they can bump you up a little bit and make your work look a little bit uh, better than it would have. But the um, the difference in what you would receive monetarily would be negligible, I believe. Yes. So what do you think the major cons of indie publishing? Uh, the major cons of indie publishing is you don't get to um, get all of the awards that go along with... Um, um, being writing in your genre uh, you may not have access to bookstores that you want and so that's a major that's a major um, downfall of being indie published but if you manage to break through and um, you know write something that's as I said transcendent then you know people will look for your work good writing I think wins the day I think if you write something good enough people will it may take longer to, for the buzz to get around but eventually you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, the author who did that was an indie author to that. So phenomenal. <laughs> yes. I, w I want Sapien to be like that, Mr. Burnett. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that would be that would be fantastic. I would love it. That would be love it. awesome. Yes. So please, let's make Sapien into series or a movie uh, motion picture. Yes, come on, people. Let's do it. Let's do it. Get, <laughs> get behind Sapien, Dawn of Oblivion, Days of Deception, and then there was darkness. Let's do it. That'd be awesome. So what is your uh, advice for those writers out there that they want to be uh, do independent in publishing? Uh, do your homework. Listen to podcasts. There are several podcasts out there that give you all the answers as far as um, writing goes, just look, just look them up, you know, um, get out there and um, uh, read the genre in which you wish to write, read all the bestsellers, um, look at the expectations of the readers, um, go to reviews, read reviews. I, this is the best piece of advice I can give you right now. Go find the most popular books that you can find or any books and read all of the one star reviews. When you read the one-star reviews, you'll see the things that anger people. You'll see the things that make them <laughs> go to, and and those are the landmines in writing. You want to stay away from those. Yes, that's true. But do you think those negative reviews make you better too, or it down you? I, it can't be a good feeling to get a negative review, but if it's if the information if, after you calm down and you looked at it objectively, if the information is good and valid then you take, you take it to heart. Sometimes people do and say hateful things out of, for one reason or other, they might, something you said in the book might've um, gone against their political leanings or what they found to be socially acceptable. And they might just want to lash out at you, at you, 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 you know, 
in those situations, there's really nothing you can do about it. You have to live in your truth. And so you have to, you know, write what you believe and what you want to see. That's why, you know, first and foremost, I'm my harshest critic. My books have to satisfy me. If my books, if at the end of the day, I'm satisfied with what I produce, then um, what somebody else says is just an opinion, unless it's something that's factual uh, in regards to a technical error that I've made. So as one of the great indie writer, what is your motivation for those aspiring writers out there that they are have a second thought to publish their books? Get out there um, and do it. Once you once you write a book, holding your own work in your hands is one of the most amazing feelings that you ever feel. It's a sense of completion. It's a um, sense of achievement. And I'm an introvert. And so rarely do I get a chance to tell my side of the story with anything because I usually I'm very once of all, first of all, I'm a very good listener. And secondly, I'm, you know, uh, reluctant to interrupt people. So a book, a novel is an opportunity to tell your side of the story or to tell your story from beginning to end without being interrupted. That's a beautiful thing. So go take I take that approach with it and I get to have every little minor thought that I have and extrapolate it out to its full extent to convey exactly to the reader exactly what I mean so that nothing could be misconstrued. Nothing could be taken out of context. Everything is right there laid out for you and you either like it or you don't. So Mr. Burnett, give us five objectives of a good novel. Wow, so five objectives of a good novel. A good novel, number one, should entertain you. Number two, it should educate you. Number three, it should probably challenge your beliefs. Number four, it probably should confirm your beliefs. And number five, it should make you wanna read it again. Wow, <laughs> that's really a good novel, like your Sapiens trilogy. <laughs> yes. That'd be awesome. So what else you can say about Sapien Days of Deception? Sapien Days of Deception is um, action-packed. Like I said, it's um, a thrill ride from beginning to end. There's never a dull moment in this book. You will absolutely love the Bastillions. You will love the way the book concludes and you will, it will leave you champing at the bit to get this because you absolutely have to know what happens next. Sapien, Days of Deception. Yes. How do you conceive the names of the solar systems or the planet inside your mind? How you do that? Well, so there, um, the planets are... Say, for instance, um, Alkebulon is the, is the first planet and that's the um, closest to the sun. And that planet consists of what we would call Africa on uh, people who are would be Africans on our planet. And it makes sense because that planet is closest to the sun. Alkebulon is the endonym for Africa. Africa is the exonym. Alkebulon is the endonym. So that's what it was called before it was named by other people. So that I have that planet and then the um it really goes from that then to Akkadian Arabu which would be um like Persia Iran Iraq you know there then um the third planet would be America which would be consistent of Native Americans the fourth planet is Europa fifth would be um India the no, fourth is India fifth, the fifth the fifth is Europa 
then Neutralia, which is um one of the neutral planets. That's why it's called Neutralia. Then Hades, and then the ninth planet is called Planet Albin, and that consists totally of um albino people. So it's separated by races and ethnicities throughout the whole entire solar system, and each planet you pretty much have to have permission from somebody who lives on the planet, one of the indigenous people to come to the planet, unless it's planet Hades or planet Neutralia, which are the two neutral ones. Oh, wow. Sounds interesting. The, all the planets are the same in one solar system, right? Yes. So it, it, when you're creating those uh, fantasy, it does not come to your mind. Do you think this one of the flows that, okay, ha, like our solar system, Earth only is the living things that we can live, right? So yes. how did you make the story that think that all these planets can live outside beyond the sun? So this is this is one of those situations where in sci-fi, in soft sci-fi, because yes. it's not hard sci-fi, you have to you have to suspend your reality or your expectations of reality on this one. Because there there's no way that you can have nine life-sustaining planets in one solar system probably couldn't have that many in a galaxy for the sake of the story i made it so now if if we it, it would depend on the levels of the planets you know because they they don't have to be linear the earth and the um and the planet or well, let's see uh Europa and india don't have to exist on the same plane one could be lower one could be higher yes and, so theoretically, they could all be in the same zone of, of, of space and just be separated by a little bit of um, from, let's say, maybe the distance from the Earth to the moon yes. between, between each one of them, which would make them all inhabitable. Now, we have to work with gravitational pools and stuff like that. And, you know, and it just gets complicated behind beyond that. So I just chose to, you know, just in that just, just suspend reality for that for the sake of that because i could have made it you know all in one galaxy or something like that and but you know you start getting into light speed numbers and, and and stuff like that and then it just gets overly complicated so that's one of those things where okay we'll just have to accept all right everybody in the same solar system is you know able to live on life-sustaining planets very well said mr bernard mulati where do you get the name so mulati soul dot um, Mulati is a com it comes from the word mulatto. That's what it is. He's um he's of mixed race in a solar system where that's very much frowned upon. So as a result, that's the name he was giving was given. And soldat is um, Africans for soldier. So common, you know, and his Mulati soldat's father, whom he who who he has never met, was um a member of the the notorious 144 from planet Alcabilan, which is the greatest fighting force in the solar system. And his mother was um, of Norse uh, descent, you know, from planet Europa. So it was a forbidden love affair that produced him. He was, as a result, was raised in the orphanage, but that's where his name came from, Mulatto, which, you know, I've changed to Mulati for Mulati Soldat. Wow. Interesting, Mr. Bernard. So where do people buy your books? All of my books can be purchased on Amazon. And that's where um, if you go through and just search T.O. Burnett, 
um, my books, all three of them will come up soon to be four books will come up and you um, see what I've done. You'll see my entire Sapien series. Yes. So uh, Mr. Burnett is planning to have a prequel. So let's support him because if you support our writers like him, will be better and better and better. <laughs> Absolutely. Please yes. do. Yes. And uh, one more question, Mr. Burnett, or more question. Corruption and deceit, how did you put in the story? Well, the corruption and came from the politicians. Um, the Supreme Chancellor, the uh, Supreme Council leader, Chancellor Aldrich, is um, a person who is not to be trusted, to put it mildly. Um, the deception happens with one of the gangs, one of the prominent gangs featured in the book called the DOD, the Debauches of Death. And they have a leader who is um, a hothead, so to speak, or a warrior by the name of Rokuro Onishi. And he faces some obstacles with his gang and in so doing um, is met with a lot of deception whether he's the one who is deceiving or is being deceived remains to be seen. They'll have to read it for that. Yes. Spoiler alert, people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So let's talk about the villain. What a great objective that you can give to the villain. Okay. So the, the MacGuffin for um, Chancellor Aldrich is that he wanted peace throughout the solar system, but his um, methods of doing so were misguided. So he wanted to, um, you know, disarm the entire solar system. It was a lawless solar system. He wanted to take everybody's weapons and only arm the mayhem marauders who fall under his command. Uh, the problem with that is the mayhem marauders before they structured and um, became the, the enforcers for the Supreme Council. So Supreme Council were one of the uh, most vicious gangs in the solar system and they couldn't be trusted and so nobody in the system would trust them to be the only ones to be in charge and and plus that gang the mayhem marauders is all from planet uh, excuse me from planet Europa, and it was, it was not a mixed gang it was all you know people who uh, were of Europa descent to the exclusion of everyone else so that wasn't going to fly yes who influenced you in writing the villain Ah, oh, the um, the villain. Um, I would say, if anything, the villain was um influenced. What influenced my mind, if I had to dig into my subconscious, would probably be some American presidents in the way he um um carries himself. Not any particular presidents, because he's a gentleman. Personally, he's just a tyrant when it comes to um um the way he. Uh, lays out the law and where he enforces the law and um so very personable individual very charismatic um you know and handsome guy but in the end he has some ways that um are not very nice and you know and and he does some evil things so if you can think of any of the world leaders who fit that bill then you have chancellor stephen aldrich yes Sounds interesting. So, Sapien, Days of Deception, best description. Yes, um, best description. Days of Deception are, is is exactly what it says. Um, 
a lot of that going on from beginning to end. You know, no one is to be trusted in the book. Oh, <laughs> that sounds interesting, Mr. Burnett. So once again, invite our readers or listeners to buy your books. Yes, please go to Amazon to um, buy my books. Search T.O. Burnett, or you can search Sapien Dawn of Oblivion, Sapien Days of Deception, or Sapien Then There Was, was Darkness. You can also follow me on Twitter at Arthur T.O. Burnett. Um, you know, send me a friend request. I pretty much, um, if you don't have any crazy things on your on your timeline, I accept you and we'll interact. And I'll be happy to have you. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> So once again, people out there, let's support Mr. Tio Burnett because Sapien's trilogy is one of a kind. Phenomenal, as they said. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so we need to make this to a series or a movie because it's something else. <laughs> That's right. Quentin Tarantino, are you listening? Let's go. <laughs> yes. Is your favorite uh, director, Quentin Tarantino? He was, yes. He, so, yeah, he would, I think he would very much like Sapien because the dialogue and a lot of the things, the violence are pretty much right down his alley. I like the way, I like the way he delivers his movies. I like the way he does things. Yes. So he's one of my favorites. That'd be awesome. Can you be uh, my guest on my movie one-on-one -on -one and Let's talk about movies. <laughs> oh, that, would, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yes. And returns, you're gonna, you know, promote your books over there. My movie one one is on the top nine best movie podcasts on the planet. <laughs> wow. So let's talk about your movies that you want or uh, movies that you like. Right, Mr. Burnett? Oh, that would be great. That would That'd be fantastic. Be awesome. Sam, thank you so much, Mr. Burnett. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. More to come, people. See you soon.